And so we're going through the book of John right now. We're working through the gospel of John. How many of you enjoyed Chris's message uh, last Sunday? Come on, Chris shared a great message uh, from John chapter number eight, uh, looking at the woman that was caught in adultery and how Jesus declares her condemnation free and, uh, and speaks life into her. And, and uh, in that moment of experiencing God's grace, uh, her entire life has changed. And Chris did such a good job last Sunday. Um, sharing on that. And, and so this morning I'm excited to share with you something in John chapter number nine uh, that I saw. And there's so much here. It's so powerful. And I believe it's going to encourage you this morning. It's going to inspire your faith. And, uh, and it's going to help you to, to walk out uh, the purpose that God has for your life. It's going to help you. This understanding of Jesus and his involvement in your life is going to help you to live a life that ultimately honors God. All right. So are you ready for that this morning? Come on, I, I know it's cold, I know it's winter, but um, let, let's hope that we can get a bit more excited about that. Uh, if you have your Bibles or your phones or your iPads or whatever you may, may be using, um, just take it out. Let's go to John chapter number 9 together, and I'm going to read the first seven verses of John 9. Um, what happens just before this is that in John 8, you saw how Jesus uh, uh, set this woman who had been caught in adultery free, um, and, uh, and she goes free, and, and so the, the Pharisees, they, they're upset with Jesus, and, and, and he's kind of showed them up in this moment, and they take him to task, and they're asking him all kinds of questions, and Jesus throws a couple of punches. You know when, when shots have been fired? Shots had been fired when Jesus got into this conversation with the Pharisees. He said a couple of things about who their father was. It wasn't God. It wasn't Jesus. Um, you know, it, he, he outright said, you're children of the devil. That's why you do your father's will. And, uh, and these are the most religious people around, and so words that really cut to the heart. And so they're seeking to pretty much stone Jesus, and uh, he hides in the crowd. I love it. Like Jesus kind of just says some incredibly like, you know, offensive things to religious people, and then he kind of like sneaks back into the crowd and, and sneaks out of the temple, and they're all fighting amongst each other. So um, just some, you know, Jesus had this awesome way of doing things. And here we see he's left the temple now, or the synagogue uh, rather, and he is, he is he's walking out. And this is what happens in John 9 verse 1. So John 9 verse 1 says, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not, this man, uh, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. We must, sorry, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world, Jesus says. Verse six, having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. He went and washed and came back seeing. I want to share a message with you this morning entitled, He Made the Mud. He Made the Mud. And we're going to look at what Jesus does in our lives and how he moves us to do the works of him who sent him. 
so let's pray together this morning, then we'll get into this. Jesus, we thank you so much this morning uh, for your creative power. Lord God, for your healing power, for your miraculous ability to, to, to change our lives, to transform our lives, God. Thank you, Father, that this morning our trust can be in you, that we can rest in you, that we can settle ourselves in you, that our hearts can be still because we know, God, that you are changing us, you're delivering us, you're working within us, and you're doing things, uh, Lord God, that we could not do for ourselves. So, Lord, right now this morning, we just submit ourselves to your word, and we just thank you that as the truth goes forth, that your spirit speaks to each one of us, God. Uh, and, uh, and causes it to bear fruit in our hearts and in our lives. We thank you for this today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. 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 So um, you may have uh, seen this in, in magazines or in daytime television shows or uh, in infomercials or whatever it may be, but it is amazing to, to, to witness what people will do to try and stay young and healthy, Right? Have you like seen some of the crazy remedies? It seems like there's always another post on Facebook or another thing that is is letting you know the secret um, or this 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 hidden um, you know ingredient that is going to give you this 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 brand new life and this and this brand new sense of vitality and and health and 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 wellness and it's like it's like people are on an endless search uh, to beat old age. And to beat poor health, and 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 they're they're so ready to share the latest breakthrough from that scientist that's been out in the Amazon for the last eleven years, rubbing different kinds of bark on his face to try and figure out which one is going to help him look younger, and um and and, and there's always the latest breakthrough and the latest thing, and that people are looking for this hope uh, of finding a miracle cure to reverse the aging process. And, um, and it's almost like within us, and this is so true, that within us there is this, this longing for eternal life. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes that he set eternity in our hearts. And we genuinely long for that. People long for immortality. There's so many stories written about it and movies that have been made uh, on, that, on that topic about, about living forever because eternity is set in our hearts. And so we will do the, the craziest things looking for eternity, looking for eternal life. I remember going to visit a friend of mine when I was in high school, and uh, he lived in the suburb across the highway from where we stayed, and so there was this little footbridge that would take you over the highway. And as I got up to the, to the bridge going across one Saturday morning to go and visit my friend, uh, I saw some graffiti under the bridge uh, next to the highway that somebody had spray-painted the words, John was here. Have you ever thought about how useless that statement is? Just like if, you know, if somebody's written on, on something like I was here, you know, on a book or on a desk or, or some graffiti on a wall, like I was here. Like why do people do that? How many Johns are there in the world? And, and nobody actually cares that you were at that bridge. But it's almost like this attempt that we make as people, and we don't, you know, you might do it through graffiti, you might do it through trying to achieve certain things, you might do it through trying to leave a legacy, you might do it by trying to get your name into the history books somehow, but it's like we have a desire to live forever. The bottom line is, is that we don't want to be forgotten. We want to live forever. And even if it's just our name on a bridge somewhere, it's like, at least I matter. At least I made a mark. At least I was here. At least somebody knows my name. 
And so we're always looking for this eternal life and this wellness and this health. And we try everything that we can think of. I actually did some research and, and I found that like, uh, you know, people would, would have leeches and actually celebrities have tried these things where they had leeches uh, actually attached to their body and apparently the leeches can get rid of impurities in your blood. People would actually stick leeches on themselves and let those leeches suck their blood. Uh, they, would, they would try only eating purple foods or, or I even heard some people now are drinking collagen. Like, I'm pretty sure you could die from that. But people are actually drinking the collagen. They'll, they'll go for surgery. They'll have Botox done. And, and, and some people just decided, let's, if we don't want to go for Botox because we don't like needles, we'll just stop smiling. We'll just stop showing emotion uh, on our faces. That's why Kirsten Stewart has such great skin. You know, it's just like no emotion, never smile, and you won't have any, any wrinkles, you know. And it's so typical of us as people. All of these remedies, all of these things, we're always looking to the things of the world to fulfill our deepest longings. We have a longing for eternity, so we try leeches. You know, we try the latest pharmaceutical. We try the latest thing that's been advertised on daytime television talk shows. We, we, we're always so, so uh, um, inclined to look for our answers in what this world can give us, with what this world can provide. And when we get into trouble in life, when we face difficult situations in life, we always look to ourselves first. It's only after our own concepts and our own efforts have failed that we go, oh yes, maybe I should, maybe I should turn to God in this moment. It's, it's so hard for us to rest in Jesus and to, and to rest in his finished work. We so quickly turn to ourselves and say, what must I do to fix this? What, 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 what remedy, what, what, what cream can I apply? What thing can I do to fix the situation in my life? And, and it happens here with Jesus and the disciples, they're walking along and they see a blind man. And they look at this blind man and the disciples are so used to everything good in their lives, in their minds, comes from the good things that they've done. And everything that's bad in their lives must come from something bad that they've done. I mean, that's the, the way that we think so often as people, that if good things happen, I mean, it's the whole concept of karma in our, in our lives. You know, it's like, if, if good things happen, it's because I've done good things. And if bad things happen, it's because I've done bad things. And so they see this man and they know that he, is, he was born blind. So it's kind of a conundrum because if he, was just, if he had just become blind, they would say, oh, it's probably because he sinned. But now they ask Jesus the question, they say, is it because he sinned or is it because his, his parents sinned that he was actually born blind? And if you think about that, um, it's quite an insensitive question. Imagine you're, you were born blind and you're sitting there and, and somebody just goes, oh, he must be a sinner or if not him, at, you know, it must be his parents who sinned. Like this must be a punishment for something that he has done wrong. Quite an insensitive statement that, that they make. It, was, it reminds me of a story my wife told me while I was in Cape Town. They went to the shops and um, Eli was in the trolley, my four-year-old boy, and, and um, he turned to my wife and, and, and told her, to, he said, look, look, mom, look at how fat that lady is. Um, and so my wife just kind of turned the trolley around and went to the next aisle, and luckily the lady didn't turn around. But it's like, it's kind of like that. It's like, oh, look at, look at that person. She's like pointing out whatever flaw, whatever sin, whatever issue they might have. And sometimes as the church and as Christians, that's what we do. When people go through calamity, when people go through hardship, when people go through difficulty, we go, oh, they must have done something. 
I remember thinking that way many times. Like people would experience a, a hardship of some reason or a failure in some area, and I go, but it's because, you know, it's because they, they, they're not committed to God. It's because they haven't done the right things. It's because they, you know, they're they, they, unfaithful in, in whatever way. And so we're so insensitive often as the church, and that insensitivity, that kind of judgmentalism, it comes from self-righteousness. It comes from self-righteous religion. When you think that you are good because of what you do, you will judge others for what they don't do, or at least for the things that they don't do as well as you do them. That's what we do as people. We judge others from a position of strength. If you notice how you, how you never judge a person that does something uh, that, that as badly as what you do it. Like if you struggle in an area, you'll have compassion for another person who struggles in that area. But if you don't struggle in that area, you're like, I just can't believe that they do that. I, I mean, what are they thinking? And so we judge from a position of strength. Um, and in my life, in some of the hard times that I've gone through, I've often experienced this, where Christians who were well-meaning but insensitive at the same time did exactly this to me. Where they would go, oh, this happened in your life, Adrian, but it must be because you sinned. It must be because there's something wrong in your life. And this is the question that these, that these disciples put to Jesus. Who sinned, the man or his parents? And Jesus' answer is neither of them sinned. Neither of them sinned. It's not because of what he did. It's not because of what his parents did. It's not because when you do bad things, you get punished. Now, there are consequences for sin, direct consequences. When you, when, you, when you do certain things, there is often a price to pay for the things that you do. Just, just because of the situation it creates, because of how it damages relationships, because of what it does in your own heart. But that doesn't mean that those consequences are punishment from God. It doesn't mean those, punish, those consequences are punishment from God because Jesus took the punishment from God. He took the punishment and the judgment that was due to us. And you can never, even legally, even in our human legal system, you can never try two different people for the same crime. You, cannot, you can't even, it's called double jeopardy, you can't even try the same person for the same crime twice. You can only try them once. And the Bible says that Jesus took all of our sin and he, pried, he paid that price for sin once and for all. He paid the price. And so it would be unjust of God to punish both Jesus and us for our sins if he's already punished Jesus. He cannot try the same sin twice. And so although there are certain consequences to the, the, the sin that we have in life, we aren't being punished by God. Jesus says neither, neither of them sinned. He says it's so that we go through difficult, we live in a fallen world. We live in a broken world. And we often as people, we're flawed and imperfect and we make mistakes. But Jesus says that even though there is this imperfection that exists in our world, even though uh, there, there, are, there are difficulties and there are challenges and there are trials, God wants to display his glory and reveal himself through those things. He says it's so that the works of God may be displayed in him. That's why this man was born blind. We recognize that God is the one who is able to work all things together for good. 
I can't tell you how many times that scripture has given me hope in life. Because you know that there's so many times when you do things where you just feel like you've lost out so much and then you try and make up for it. I remember the first time I went to New York and, uh, and, and I got there and it was late. My, my, my plane landed late at night. It was like 11 o'clock at night and I was alone. And I was going to this hotel that I booked online and I, ho- I wasn't sure if it actually existed. I wasn't sure if I had been scammed or not. Um, and so I booked this hotel. I arrived late at night in New York. The wind is blowing. It's cold. And I remember I, remember I had done some research. How do I catch a taxi? How do I get into uh, Manhattan where I was staying, whatever? And, and, uh, and I remember everybody saying, just take a yellow cab. Get into a yellow cab. Don't take any other cab. Get into the yellow cab and, and let it take you. And it should be around $40 for the trip or something like that. And, and so I'm walking and I'm telling myself I'm coming out of the airport I see the yellow taxis out there and I'm walking up to it and I'm going okay just get into one of these and And as I'm about to get in there's a guy who stops me and he says do you need a cab and I was like yes and and to be honest he was African I think he was from Ghana and I just felt at home I was like my brother my brother you don't know me but I know you and um and I was like I don't want to like a New Yorker, I'm happy to work with you and so he took my bag and he started walking and then he walked past the yellow cabs and he walked past the parking area and he walked up the road with my bag and I started getting really, really nervous. Um, And he walked up to this abandoned parking lot. His car was the only one in this parking lot and it was this black suburban with like no markings on it. It doesn't say taxi. It's like, I mean, I was telling other people in America the story, they were like, you must be from Joburg because no one else in the world would have gotten into that taxi. He threw my bag in the back. He was like, jump up front, put your place into the GPS. I was like, oh my gosh, but now I'm so far from the airport. Uh, And so I just get in and I hope I'm not going to die. And so we drive and we get to the hotel. I'm relieved when we get there. And then he doesn't have a meter. He just writes down a price and he hands me this thing for a hundred and eighty dollars. And I'm like, for just like a, maybe a 20 minute trip. And I'm thinking, Jesus, it's all my money. Like, I'm, I'm not going to be able to eat for the rest of my time here in New York. And so I just tell him, man, I don't even have that much. And eventually I just get him down. I would have gotten out, but he had my bag in the back. So he could have driven off with it. Um, so I, I pay him $130 for that taxi ride. And I was like, man. First moment I'm here and I get scammed and I was I was prepared and ready and I and and I went and it happened to me anyways, and um, my point is that for the rest of the time that I was in New York, I was constantly trying to make up for the hundred and thirty because I was so grieved by the hundred and fifty dollars. I did I took a subway for the I was there for about a week only twice. I literally walked to the point where I couldn't get up the stairs um, when I got back to my hotel. I would just go lay on the bed because my, my calves were literally in spasm just from the amount of kilometers I had walked because I was determined that I will not pay any more money on transport so that I can kind of meet my budget at the end of the day. And then when I had to go back to the airport, I asked the guy, I had this big suitcase and a bunch of stuff, and I was like, how do I take the subway to get back to the airport. And I ended up taking that big bag through the turnstiles, getting on the subway, getting all the way to where the subway ends, getting off, standing in the middle of, I think it was Brooklyn or Queens or something. I was standing there waiting for a bus, found a bus, got on it, and about, I don't know, two hours later, arrived at the airport. And I was like, $2.50, baby, $2.50. So $132.50, divide by two. It's sounding better already, right? And... um, 
And so that's kind of what we do in life. When we, when we miss out on things, when we make mistakes, we feel like we've lost so much ground and we have to make up for the ground that we've already lost. Like we have to try and, and like, oh, we, we made that mistake. So we spend years and, and so much energy and, and so much of, of, of what we have in our hearts. We just spend so much of ourselves trying to make up for our past mistakes and our flaws and our failures. And what God is saying is that we don't have to do that. We can forget those things, like Paul says, that lies behind us and press on to the goal. Why? Because God works all things together for good. I'll never be scammed in New York again. I'll never follow anyone out of the airport again because I've learned through that situation. And so this is part of our hope as Christians that even though we have certain situations in life that knocked us and certain things that we look at it and we go, man, it's... It just, it's horrible that that happened. And, 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 and every time I think about it, I cringe a little bit. Here's the bottom line. That through that, God is going to bring redemption. He's going to bring restoration to your life. And he is going to cause his work, his restoration, his glory to be revealed in you. How awesome is it to know that God is going to reveal his glory through our brokenness. And, 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 and even by piecing together the difficult situations of our lives and the, and, the, and the mistakes that we have made. And so we recognize that, that these things in our lives, they ultimately reveal Jesus. This is, this is the hope that we have. It says, having said these things then, Jesus spits on the ground. He spits on the ground and made mud with the saliva. And then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud, which is quite an interesting thing that Jesus does to bring about a healing. Jesus doesn't need to spit in the mud, let's be clear. I mean, he, first of all, never stuck to a certain formula. We as Christians, we want formulas. Like, how do I get healing? Oh, so-and-so got their healing by taking these three steps. And if you want healing, then you need to do these three steps. God doesn't work in formulas. He's not caught up with the mode of your healing he, or, 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 the, or, the, or the, um, the method of your healing. He's just caught up in actually bringing the healing. That's actually what God is all about. And so Jesus, at times, would just speak. He'd say, pick up your mat, walk, you're healed. He didn't have to do anything. And through only by his word, he can heal. But he does something specific here in this moment um, to, to display something I believe. I want to just, before I move on, just say that sometimes we miss out on what God has for us or on the way that God wants to work in our lives because we want to limit him to a specific way of doing it. We don't actually completely surrender the situation to God. We just ask God to get involved in the way that we've decided we want to see him be involved. So sometimes God can work in a situation where we literally go, I don't understand this. I don't understand why God allowed this to happen. I don't understand. And it's only in hindsight, it's only later on looking back that we can go, that's why God did it. But in the moment, what God asks us is just to trust him. If you're going through a difficult time, if some stuff has happened in your life that you just don't understand why it had to happen, just trust him. Just trust him because he's faithful. Just trust him because he's good. So we shouldn't limit God in our thinking. And the way that Jesus does this specific miracle, I think just it says something so powerful. So he gets down in the ground and he spits in the ground. And I can imagine, I mean, 
you only have so much spit in your mouth, um, you know, and, and I'm like, yeah, I'm going there, it's because it's in scripture, you know, but you only have so, I mean, it must have been quite a process to make enough mud to rub on somebody's eyes just by simply using your saliva and some dust. So, I mean, Jesus gets down there and he's actually making some mud using his own spit. And he takes this, this mud and rubs it on the man's eyes. And, and, and this word here where it says that he, he made mud, it's almost the same word. It's, in fact, in the, in the Greek, it's the same word as to knead, as to work, like when you're working dough. It's, he actually made some mud. And under the, the law, according to the Pharisees, um, this is something that was actually unlawful because it constitutes as work. You're not allowed to need anything. You're not allowed to make anything. You're not allowed to even heal. I mean, they had issues with Jesus healing people on the Sabbath because this day, it tells us in verse 14, was the Sabbath. On the Sabbath, Jesus kind of defies the law and he gets down and he does the work, he says, of God. We want the work of God to be displayed. And so um, I believe that what Jesus was saying here is that the law, and our own efforts and our own strength cannot produce the healing that we need in our lives. It cannot cause us to see God. It cannot cause us to, we can't, according to the law, walk faithfully with Jesus, having our eyes opened up. And Jesus is declaring, I'm greater than the law. I'm greater than, than the law because I'm not here to do the works of the law. I'm here to do the works of God. I'm here to do the works of God. So he outright defies the law. And as I was reading this scripture about Jesus getting down and, and kind of making mud with his own spit, my, my thoughts immediately went to creation and when God formed us. And when you read in, in Genesis chapter number two and verse seven, it says, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. When God formed us, when he formed the first man, when he, he formed the, Adam, the first of humanity, he took dust from the ground and shaped it like only God can do and breathed his life into what he had created. So God formed us from the dust of the earth. And now here there's a blind man whose eyes cannot see. And once again, he gets down into the dust of the earth and he takes that dust, he takes that mud on, and puts it on the man's eyes. And I believe that what Jesus was doing is simply declaring, I am the creator. I am the creator. I'm the one who created the world. I'm the one who created the universe. I'm the one who set everything into motion. And so if, if you need something in your life, I am the one who in the same way that I can create all things, I can recreate. I can open up. I can do miraculous things because I am the creator. One of the things that Jesus had said just in the chapter before that upset the Pharisees so much, he said, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. He's saying, I am God. That's the name of God. I am. I'm self-existent. I can open eyes by using the blood, uh, by using the mud from the ground. He is God. So you see, if God can speak the world into existence, then we've got to believe that he can speak life into your current situation. 
If God can form mankind out of the dust of the earth, then we've got to believe that God can take the broken pieces of our lives and make something beautiful out of them. If God can command the ocean, like it says in Job, to go so far and no further, how many of you know that he can sufficiently address every wave of chaos in our life? You see, when you start to see Jesus and, and, and who God is as in the, in the right size of God, in the power of God, in his ability, in his supernatural ability, when you start to understand that Jesus is the creator of all things, opening up a blind eye, you understand is nothing to him. Changing a situation is nothing to him. Restoring and redeeming situations in your life is nothing to him. It's easy. And he recreates this man's sight. He recreates it. He says to the man, after having put the mud on his eyes, he says, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. And John clarifies for us, he says, this means to be sent. To be sent. The Bible tells us that God so loved the world that he sent his only son. And I believe that what Jesus was saying, is like, I want you to know that I am the one that has been sent to wash you, to bring recovery, to bring restoration, to bring redemption to your life. He has some mud, I'm the creator, now go and wash. I am, I am washing my creation. I am redeeming my creation. I am restoring my creation. I am healing my creation. I made you in the beginning. I was there, I breathed my breath into your lungs. And now in your broken situation, I want you to know that I've been sent by the Father to bring the healing that you so desire. I'm here because I've been sent to heal what I created. I am the Redeemer. I am the Messiah. I am the one who restores. I am Jesus, God with us. So he came to, to wash us. And, and this man goes and, and he, he washes himself in the pool of Siloam and he comes back and he had recovered his sight. His sight he, he had received his sight. And this is what happens when we are washed by the water of God's word and the water of his grace. When we believe in the gospel, the Bible describes it as that truth that we receive, it literally washes us, it cleanses us, it renews us. Our eyes are opened up through that washing. In Ephesians 5 verse 25, it says, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, it's talking about marriage here and it moves into what Jesus did for us as the church. It says, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, the sent one. Listen to this, so that he might sanctify her, us, the church, his people, God's people, by the washing of water with the word, that he might sanctify us by the washing of water through the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. That's talking about us today. As the church, when we put our faith in Jesus, we've been washed in the pool of Siloam. Our blindness spiritually has been cured. And we come back without spot or blemish so that we might be presented to God in splendor as the church. Now in our own selves, could that be possible? I mean, come on, we are so imperfect. We are so flawed. There are so many blemishes in our lives. But in Christ, 
we are presented spotless, without blemish, holy before God. And that's what Jesus came to do. He was sent not to treat us according to our sins, not to punish us with blindness because our parents messed up. Because honestly, then we'd all be blind. But to cleanse us from unrighteousness. To wash us so that we can be presented to God, so that we can stand in a relationship with God. That's why we're bold in God's presence. That's why we can worship loudly. That's why we can enjoy God and enjoy this life that God has given us because we're not trying to make up for lost ground here. We're not trying to make up for our bad situations and our sins. We're not trying to save ourselves. We're simply enjoying what God has already secured for us. We're enjoying our holiness. We're enjoying our righteousness. We're enjoying this new life that we have. And so this is what happens. And this man begins to see. He actually sees. He's miraculously healed. Not by leeches or by collagen or by any works of the law, but by Jesus and the recreating redemptive work of our Savior by the grace of God. And so what happens directly after this? So this man is healed. And then there are five conversations that happen kind of in quick succession through John 9. And it's so interesting to see how, these, how these, uh, these conversations play out. And I'm going to encourage you when you go home today or in this week as you're doing your devotions, go through John 9 and look at these conversations. Read through it again. But I want to just highlight a few things just from, from these conversations. And the first conversation that happens is with this man who used to be blind and his neighbors. That those that are co-beggars with him, that were sitting there with him. It says in John 9 verse 8, it says, The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he's like him. No, it's not him. It just looks like him. Uh, and he kept saying, I'm the man. Like, I'm the guy. I'm the one who was healed. So they said to them, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes. I love that word anointing. It's, it's just God's ability. It's, it's just supernatural. He anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. I do not know. So what I just saw out of that first conversation, is some people coming like, oh, are you the guy? I mean, surely you're the one that was sitting here. I mean, we've seen you for so many years. You've been blind since birth. Uh, you've now come of age, you're here, like, are you the one who is actually, how is it that you're seeing? And he says, he says, the man called Jesus. The man called Jesus. He still doesn't really have a, a genuine revelation of who Jesus is. He just knows that there's a guy called Jesus who did something for him. And so that's what the first conversation is. And, and it's like people who meet Jesus for the first time. It's like people who encounter his love for the first time. They don't have a full revelation yet of what Jesus, of who Jesus is. They simply know that they've experienced something supernatural. But now we see this man going on a journey. And the, the next thing that happens um, after that is that it says, the next uh, uh, conversation that happens is with the man and the Pharisees. So now the Pharisees get involved. In verse 16, it says, some of the Pharisees said, this man talking about Jesus is not from God. For he does not keep the Sabbath because he spat in the ground and made mud and healed somebody on the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division amongst them. So they said again to the blind man, so the Pharisees now, they turn to the blind man. They say, what do you say about him? 
since he has opened your eyes. What, what do you think about Jesus? And he says, he is a prophet. He's a prophet. You see, the man was blind. He was given physical sight. But now what's happening is his spiritual sight is starting to unfold. Like he's becoming more and more able to see spiritually. And as he begins to see, he goes, oh, there's a man called Jesus. And the next thing he goes, no, but I, I think he's a prophet actually. I actually think, which means that he's sent by God. He's come from God. He's a prophet. He's the one who was sent. Then the Pharisees turn to the parents, his parents, and they go, can you confirm that this is the son, that this is your son, and that he was born blind? And what do you think about Jesus? That question, what do you think about Jesus? That's a question each of us need to answer in our own lives. And it's probably the most important question you'll ever answer. What do you think about Jesus? And they knew because the Pharisees had already said that anybody who believes in Jesus will be put out of the synagogue. So they go, hey, listen, we don't want to get involved. Um, speak to our son. I mean, he knows. They kind of just, you know, they, they don't want to get involved. And so the Pharisees go to the man again, John nine twenty four, and they say, so for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. It's so ironic that they say, give glory to God by denying Jesus. That's what the law wants to do. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. Only one thing I, I do know in these famous words, that I was blind, but now I see. Like I can't tell you all the ins and outs right now, but one thing I do know is that I used to be blind, but now I see. So the Pharisees, they're getting more and more upset okay get that man back in here like who do you say Jesus is I mean don't you know that he's a sinner come on glorify God according to the law and he says look I don't know about all that but here's one thing here's the facts the facts are my life has changed that's what's that's what makes Christianity so undeniable is when people have changed when lives have changed and I have seen it over and over and over again. It's almost a little bit unfair sometimes because I see people coming into church and I can see, I can see while I'm speaking, believe it or not, like you're communicating with me a lot as much as what I'm communicating with you uh, whenever I'm standing up here. And I can see that some people, they're just like, mm, okay, not so sure about this. And I'm just like quietly confident because I'm like, no, don't worry, you'll see. You'll see because I know what the washing of the water of the word does. That doesn't mean that everybody will believe. But I know that people, if they come into a place where they are face to face with Jesus and they ex begin to experience, there's something that happens. And it's undeniable. It's undeniable. There's one specific guy, he's not here today, but, but he, uh, I saw him come for months. He would just, family would kind of drag him along, just sit here, kind of never smiled, never kind of engaged in worship, never, because you can kind of see people keeping to themselves, and that's okay, we're all on a journey. But, uh, but there was one Sunday where he, his eyes opened up. He put his faith in Jesus, and he was ultimately washed in the, in the water of, of Siloam. He was washed in the one who, who, who was sent. The next Sunday, I saw that guy, and I, and, I, and I kid you not, he looked like a brand new person. He was literally smiling, walking in, just like, hey, hey, I belong. I'm a part of this. Thing. And, and, and um, the way that he engaged was completely different. Because you can't deny when a person's life changes. 
People can say all kinds of things about Jesus, all kinds of things about your faith, all kinds of things about what this world accepts and doesn't accept. But at the end of the day, if you look different, they go, but yeah, I, I, just, I still can't deny what's actually happened in your life. This man goes, look, I don't know what you want to say about Jesus. I don't know what you want to call him, whether he's a sinner, whether he's just a man, whether he's just a religious leader. All I know is that I was once blind and now I see. Those are the facts. It's undeniable when Jesus does something like that in your life. And so they're upset, <laughs> these, these uh, self-righteous Pharisees. And they do what the religious people of that day did, and they put him out. They say, okay, if you're saying that you believe in Jesus, because he goes on to boldly kind of declare, they say, okay, you're no longer a member of the synagogue. You're no longer a member of this Jewish faith. We, from the religious side, condemn you and we put you out. And it says that he was cast out by them. He was cast out by them. And so finally, Jesus gets involved. These conversations have been going on. So Jesus gets involved in John 9, 35. It says, Jesus heard that they had cast him out and found him. And having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. And I'll explain that to you in a moment. But one of the first things I love about this is that this man is an outcast by religion. He doesn't fit the religious mold. He, he, he's sitting on the outside of what they would accept and think that God accepts. And Jesus goes and finds him. There's an active finding of the outcasts that happens uh, from Jesus. And, uh, and, and when I read that, I thought about um, Jeremy and Fiona. They're sitting in the back there. Uh, they joined our church a couple of months ago because they were literally one Sunday, they, they just felt so uneasy with where they were at. And, and they were really just looking for a church that, and a community and a, and a journey to be on. Um, and, and so they Googled outcast church. And uh, we have never, in anything that we've done, used the word outcast anywhere on our website, in our blogs, and any social media posts. But for some reason, Anchor Church Choburg came up as the first result when they Googled outcast church. And they came here the next Sunday morning, and uh, they've been with us ever since. And I love that we can be a church for people who feel like outcasts because Jesus is the one who went and found the outcast. And then he asked him this, you're outcast, but do you believe in me? Do you believe in me? And in this moment, the man, he received the fullness of sight. Before he had been healed physically, now he was seeing all the way and he worshiped Jesus. In other words, he recognized Jesus. He recognized the love of God. He recognized the grace of God. Not the religious statutes, not all the principles and rules that are supposed to be followed, but who God is. And he began to, began to see. We only truly see when we see who Jesus is. We only truly see when we can see and recognize who Jesus is. And in that moment, when you see the goodness of God, you're led to worship. And that worship is an act of submission. Saying, God, I trust you. I can see who you are. And I put my faith in you. 
One final thing that I wanted to mention. Okay, let, me, let me just deal with uh, that last thing that Jesus says. He says, I came into the world for judgment so that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. What Jesus wanted to, what he's saying here is I wanted to bring a dividing line for people who thought that they were good to understand that they are not good, that they were actually blind all along. Those who thought that they could see, Jesus says, if the light that is in them the goodness that they think they have is darkness. How great is that darkness? In other words, there's something worse than just being a sinner and knowing you're a sinner, and that is being a sinner and thinking you're good. So Jesus goes, I actually came to help people understand that your own goodness is actually darkness. It's self-righteousness. And so that those who know that they're unrighteous can see what I've done for them. And so that's the, the dividing line, the judgment line that he came to bring in because if you are determined to pay for your own sins, then you will be judged for your own sins. You will make that decision to say, I don't want Jesus' sacrifice to apply to me. I would prefer to pay for them myself. And then in that case, we still have to face judgment for our sinfulness. Does that make sense to everybody? Because that can sometimes be a challenging one. Last thing that I saw in the scripture that I wanted to share with you this morning, just jumping back to John 9, uh, sorry, John 9 verse 4, right in the beginning when that, that first little bit, it says, Jesus says this, he says, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. In, in Romans, I think it's 13, it says, the night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us put off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. What Jesus is saying in this, is this, in this passage is that if we look at what the work of God was in this man's life, it was to bring him to faith. It was to redeem his life. It was to bring the healing that comes from putting your faith in Jesus. And so... Jesus is saying that the work that we are to do is to help people see the truth. The works of God that we're all called to do, that we're called to do as a church, that we're doing here in the city of Joburg, is to help people see, not just physically, but spiritually to recognize the truth, to receive the healing, to receive that redemption. Because physical blindness is not the worst kind of blindness. And Jesus wants to do more than just physically. When he opened up these physical eyes, it was symbolic of what he wants to do spiritually in people's lives, that we could recognize the Savior. And so what God showed me as I was reading this passage is that this mud also represents the church that he shaped, that he formed, and that he rubs on blind people's eyes. In other words, God wants to use the church as an agent in this world to help people see, to help people receive redemption. He created it, he formed it, and he applies it through us. And this is what he says. He says, he says that there's a time when, when Jesus returns, when we can no longer work. But right now, he goes, people can receive healing, they can receive the grace of God because I am still in the world and I am the light of the world. Even though you're blind, you can see the light through Jesus, uh, through us as the church. So, so does that make sense to you? Like we are present here as the representatives of God.
as the church, we are the mud that gets applied to help blind people see. And so instead of judging the blind, we're not here to judge the blind. We're not here to assume why the blind are the blind. We're not here to feel better than the blind. But we're here as the agency of God, created by his own hands, to help people see, to open up their spiritual eyes, to help people experience the redemptive power of Christ, and to help them to be able to walk that journey out as they grow in their relationship with God, and ultimately bring all of us to a place where we are wholeheartedly submitted to Christ, worshiping him, submitting ourselves to him, glorifying him, bringing glory to him. As long as Jesus is in the world through the church, there is light, there is hope. There's a time frame, there's a window of grace that God has given to this world. And through the church, he is speaking to the world saying, I want you to receive your sight. This is the gospel. This is the good news. Go into all the world and declare that God has done these good things, teaching those who believe, baptizing them and teaching them to obey all that God has commanded. And so we must do that work now. I remember Bill Hybels in his book on courageous leadership. He says, the church is the hope of the world. The church is the hope of the world. Now, we are so used to kind of putting church kind of on the fringe of our list of commitments. But it's through the agency of the church that Jesus makes himself present to a lost and a blind world. And that is why I believe in the church. Now, some of you may have been hurt by the church. Some of you may have had bad experiences in church. And I can promise you today, whatever you've experienced church-wise, I've experienced worse. But still, I can confidently say that nothing in my life has blessed me more than being a part of a community of faith, than being a part of God's plan of this earth, that I get to be the mud in Jesus's hands. I don't care what other thing I could ever have in life. Nothing is worth more than being used by God to reveal his glory. And that's who we are as the church. Imperfect, flawed, whatever it may be, but ultimately God uses the mud to cause people to see. And as the church, we are making his light present. We cause his light to be present here on earth. Not because Jesus needs the mud. He could have just spoken the word, but because he chooses the mud and he chose us. So we are very passionate about what we do here as a church at Anchor Church. We're very passionate about our city. We're very passionate about reaching into people's lives. We're willing to sacrifice. We're willing to give. It's nothing. Those things are nothing to do because of the surpassing worth of what we get to be involved in as God uses us to bring sight to those who are blind because he's the one who made the mud. He's the creator who was sent to save and that's our message. That's what we share with the people out in this city. How incredible is it that we get to be the agents of God? And so I want to just, again, encourage you this morning. Whatever you're going through, whatever your situation looks like, know that he redeems all things 
and in and through your life, just like this man gave a testimony before the religious people and, and, and the other beggars, that in and through your life, God will cause others to see as well. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and pray this morning.